Bible and it talks about hell, it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he talks about the gnashing. He goes, when do you gnash your teeth? He's like, when you when you some, intensely regret something, you're like, ah. And that, what you just said, imagine you meet the person and it's you see what you could have been and you have this intense regret. That's hell. You yeah. gnash your teeth, you're like, oh, because you just regret so bad. And that's really it. It's the pain of discipline versus the pain of regret. There's the two types of pain. We have to embrace the pain of discipline every day to avoid the pain of regret. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing, very exciting episode of The Superman Life. As always, guys, I'm your host, Frank Rich. And guys, we are coming up on 100 episodes. I know I've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks now. Here we are, episode 98. What an incredible conversation we have you for, we have for you today. And to honor and celebrate hitting that 100 episode milestone, which I believe it's a major milestone. How many podcasts start and stop and never make it to 10, never make it to 20, never make it to 50. Very few actually get to, to 100 episodes. So yeah, I'm gonna to continue to talk about it until we reach it. And probably after the fact, I'll continue to talk about it as well. But one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to bring back on some of our favorite conversations, some of our favorite guests from the past. And today we have a returning guest. We have Rob Kowalski in the house, returning back from episode 36. For those of you that don't know, Rob is the CEO and founder of the nonprofit organization known as CityFam, which we get into the story and genesis behind how he started it, why he started it, what he saw the gap in the communities, what it was and, and how he came up with a solution. Now, Rob is also a reformed bad boy. You know, we unpacked it a lot in, in the first episode. From the age of 15, he had one goal in life and it was to be uh, a male stripper. And he hit that and he became the biggest male stripper, the most popular, most famous in, in the Baltimore, Maryland area. And then through radical encounter with Jesus, you know, he turned his, turned his life around. And today he's a best-selling author, he's a podcast host, he's a founder of a nonprofit, global speaker and, and, and YouTubers is, as well. And, you know, so we get like today, we obviously we get into the story behind City Fam. Then we really get into a method that Rob has created and, and is in the process of building and rolling out to churches known as the Go. So we want to talk a little bit about where is the church falling short? Like, why is the church losing members the fastest rate ever? Why are they getting fewer and fewer people joining their church and being saved every single year? So, A, we need to identify what that problem is. Why is it existing? And then let's talk about the solution. What can leaders do? What can men do? What can pastors do? What can people in their community do to help bring more people to Jesus, to help bring more people uh, to the cross so, so that they can be saved and, and, and that they can live in eternity with heaven. So we unpack the go method and we talk a little bit about, about the dangers of premarital sex and, and why as men, we should be avoiding it and, and what we can do and, and how we should be stepping into the purpose for our lives. So incredibly power conversation. Obviously, like we ask every single episode, if you're getting value out of these conversations, you can help us and support us in one of two ways. First off, by leaving a five-star rating, a written review, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform you are listening to. But more importantly, if there's somebody in your life that you know needs to hear today's conversation after listening to it, please do us a favor and share this conversation with them. But let's get into today's conversation with returning guest to the Superman Life, Rob Kowalski. Talk about why we need strong leaders, strong male leaders in the Christian church. Hope you guys enjoy. Rob, my brother, welcome back to the Superman Life. How you doing? So good to be here, man. Definitely someone I look forward to connecting with. I really feel kindred spirit with you. And, and we've never met, but I just, you're just somebody that I enjoy talking to the few times. Yeah, I really, I really, I really do too, man. We, uh, we were chatting a bit and it just literally just picked right up from yeah. over a year ago. So 
for those of for those of you listeners that are new here, Rob is Rob is one of our returning guests. So as we've been, Rob, as I told you when you know I reached out about getting you back on, you know we're coming up on 100 episodes, and for some people hitting 100 episodes like maybe isn't a big deal. For me, like I'm celebrating it because it showed obviously a level of consistency. And starting this podcast has has changed my life in in many ways. So you know I've really been excited about getting some of what have really been some of my favorite conversations back on the show. And that's what I'm doing here with the podcast now is I'm just having the conversations that excite me and very fortunate that it's beginning to show some interest uh, or other people are interested in, in learning the same things that I'm as well. So we're excited to just pick back up where we left off last time. But, uh, you know, we spoke in July of, of last year. Now, obviously, it's a somewhat of a different world that we've been living on. So to kick it off here, just how has the last year, year and a half, been for you in, in city fam how have you guys navigated what's been going on in, in the world and what good has come out of this let's look at it glass half full let's there's plenty of yeah. places you can go talk the negative side of things let's keep it optimistic here it, today so yeah what's the last year been like and what what good has come out of it for you and your organization yeah so the last year's been very productive actually for us uh, professionally we've been able to expand and get the message out a lot broader because we had to <clears throat> it was we were more of a local, we always had dreams of being having chapters in other cities, but for the most part, Baltimore, and we had some events going in Houston, but really not a lot of other places. So in the last year, we've got a, a lot more organized as far as being able to scale into other places, a lot more people, even internationally knowing about who we are. And then personally, I, I thank God I'm an introvert because I, I do get my energy by being alone. So, it, and I spend a lot of time alone working and, and the office is a ghost town now where I'm at it used to be probably 50 people in here a day. Now there's five of that, but I've been super productive, man. Like I got that vision and thank God, like I know exactly where I'm going and I work hard on it, but I'm looking forward to all the things that we've missed, like the, the concerts and, and then we're starting to get back there. I, I don't know how it is. I, Florida, you guys have been back actually. Wait, we've, we've been land of the free, bro. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I've talked about this quite a bit. I am incredibly fortunate and feel extremely blessed uh, mm. to, to live here with governor DeSantos, but for me, I've been, I've been a at-home working entrepreneur for eight and a half, nine years. So when that happened last year, it was no real change for me. And honestly, like I haven't put a mask on my face since I think August of, of last year. Like I just operate as normal. If somebody Love asks it. me to put it on, I, I smile and wink at them and say, I can't. Uh, I just keep going on with my day. Um, very fortunate I haven't had anybody like overly harass me. I think I had to leave Trader Joe's once. And it's the only place that I've been asked uh, to lead in a year and a half you, man. the Trader Joe's. So yeah, it's, it's been very nice. And we're we just, the weather's turning here. It's, it's finally like cooling down a bit. It was 95 like last week, but we've been waking up in the sixties. I was shocked to hear you call yourself an introvert. Have you always yeah. identified as, as, as no. an introvert? I didn't know I was, I thought I was an extrovert. And then I didn't, I guess I just, because I can turn it on in, in public settings, but I, it drains me eventually mm. being in crowds. So I like being alone and I feel energized being alone. And I, I didn't realize that was the definition of an introvert. I just assumed an introvert was somebody that was, didn't have good people skills and they were just like quiet, but there's, I, I think they might call it a professional introvert. I don't remember what the term is, but it's somebody that can turn it on in public settings and I can be very social and I like being around people, but not for necessarily long periods. I'm usually the first person to leave city fam events. So I'll just peace out. Cause I know in addition to that, I just know it's trouble after a certain point. Exactly. I'm like, yeah. yeah, let me just dip about 10 o'clock. Yeah. I think I've, I think, I think I've called it an extroverted 
introvert. That might be it, actually. Yeah. yeah. But on the same thing, if people hear think you're an introvert, like you talk, you talk for a living, like you got a podcast, you got a you got a media company, et cetera, et cetera. And it's I can turn it on when it's when it's needed. But I'm the guy like at a party, like at a social setting, like I'm much more comfortable finding one person and going in a corner and going deep into a conversation mm -hmm. as opposed to being like this butterfly, like in, in a group. I don't know. I just, I, I don't really thrive in those type of wow. stuff. Put me okay. on stage with a mic, like I'll work the crowd for sure. But right. in, in like more of like a social setting, like I'm just, I, I, I don't know what it is, but it's not my, it's not my wheel. I'm the opposite. I wouldn't want to, if I sat there and went deep with one person, I would feel like there's things going on that need me. I'd have to go around and touch everybody. <laughs> like I want to make sure everybody's having a good time. Everything's happening the way that it's supposed to. And that's pretty much the way I, at all my social events is the way I operate. And it's weird because it just, it goes by and then you don't really feel like you necessarily really connect it with anybody. So I, I don't know if that's a great strategy on my part, but that is how I've always been where I'm just all over the place. I don't, I can't stand sitting still at an event. Yeah, no, very similar there. But you talked about how you guys have, you know, been been growing and, and and scaling, you know, the organization, your nonprofit city fan. We talked a little bit about it last time we had on. We spent the majority of that time talking about your book, Why Waiting Works, and the dangers of sex, and we unpacked your story here a little bit. I want to spend some time today talking about city fan, talking this new method that you, you're working with churches and whatnot, and get into the genesis of all of this. So if you can, maybe Rob, share a little bit about the story behind city fan, like where it started and and, and evolved from, and why it was really fulfilling and i believe you correct me if i'm wrong but you were really trying to a need or a hole that you saw in in the church community so yeah pack yeah. that here for a little bit for us today and, and then we'll, we'll we'll zoom in when when necessary and make it fun and enjoyable for everybody absolutely man thanks for giving me the opportunity so i met jesus when i was 27 years old i was before that i was a nightclub promoter the biggest in baltimore at the time i was a stripper before that so i, I was just very popular very active social life a lot of casual sex just yeah. my life you're was in a the party. phone book it's like, don't get it because yeah mom i made it look no um, but no my life was a party and it was i like being me in all honesty i loved it i love the persona i created for myself and i met jesus radical conversion road to damascus experience got baptized in the holy spirit prophesied just crazy went from one day not even thinking about god to the next day being completely sure that jesus was who he said he was and that he had a plan for my life so i did this real hard turn it's 180 and broke up with my girlfriend i quit promoting i just commit in my mind i was like i'm gonna be the best i'm gonna live by this book i'm gonna be the best possible christian i can be and do whatever it takes so literally was abstinent for the next six years i cut off all my friends because they were all partiers and i knew i couldn't really hang out with them or, or and walk this narrow path and I got very lonely quick within about two weeks. I was like very lonely because I, my social life came to a screeching halt. I didn't even know how to live as a Christian. I didn't know any Christians. I started going to this church. I liked the Sundays and the things that I was learning about God. And I thought the people were very nice, but I just felt like they were very different than me because I had not been raised in a church and I just didn't relate to them. So I started, I, I assumed, okay, what made my story unique was that God told me that he had a person for me, a, a woman. And if I waited, he would bring her to me. So if he hadn't told me that, I certainly would have dated at this point out of loneliness. And I'm sure I would have fell back into having sex because even if I was attempting not to, I just was so weak in that area that I, it would have just happened. But he told me that he had someone. So that compounded the problem of loneliness because I didn't have that as a crutch. And now I started, I became very hungry for community. I was like, there's got to be other people out there like me that aren't just not religious, but still following Jesus. And I started looking for them. Hey, Rob Kowalski here. 
When I first got serious about living intentionally and becoming a better version of myself, I found a major shortage of things to do and people to do them with. And it was the loneliness and boredom that led me to starting CityFam. So I just wanna take a moment right now and encourage you to go over and join the CityFam Facebook community. It's a free Facebook group, and in it you'll find purpose-driven people from all over the world that wanna enjoy life to the fullest. You can search it on Facebook, or you can go to www.friendswithbetterbenefits.com and it'll take you right there. While I'm mentioning it, if you're single, searching for real love, love before sex, as I like to say, I wanna encourage you to join the Waiting Works community. That's another free Facebook group I put together designed to help people wait well, date well, and ultimately hit the mark in life and love. And you can go to www.reallovewaits.com and I'll see you over there. Now back to the episode. I started going to like young adults groups, a Christian coffee house, anywhere that I heard there was something that maybe that would be appealing, I went to it and I couldn't find anything. So then my strategy became to stay out of, just stay out of trouble and, and don't sin. And eventually God will give you a wife. So I just kind of started isolating inadvertently. And I started going to the movies on the weekends and just trying to stay out of trouble. Every three months or so, I would get so pent up with energy. I'd go to the bars and I'd meet up with some old friends. I'd drink too much. I'd get scared that I was going to sin. And I'd stay in for another three months. Pattern would repeat. This lasted six years. Eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore. I went, I just gave, decided to give myself some freedom and I went back to the bars on the weekends because I wanted a social life again and just backslid really badly. After that happened, so I made a mess at that point over the next few years, it just slowly spiraled. It just it started with me hooking up with a girl, broke my six year streak, and then a second girl about a month later. And then it just started becoming really frequently, almost every weekend or, or sometimes even multiple girls a weekend. And I just... Over the time, I ended up right back to where I started, where I was just like very far from God and very disillusioned with everything. I, my dad got stage four cancer in 2010, diagnosed prostate cancer. And through a series of events around that, God really humbled me, brought me to my knees, and I rededicated my life to him. And how long was this going on? So you had that six-year streak, that six-year abstinence. Like how long was the time of you called backsliding or yeah. you know, returning back to your, you know, your sure. old patterns of? A behavior it was five years and and it so like i left a lot of details out just for the sake of time so in 2006 i i was leading a small group i was leading a bible study it was uh very it was edgy and we were meeting at this coffee shop but i really felt like god was giving me the green light to go back work in the nightclub scene again which sounds crazy i know but i prayed a lot about it and i really felt like he gave me the green light so i started promoting again i literally took over the nightlife in baltimore within months. People didn't even know who I was when I re-entered the scene, but within three months, I was running everything again. And, but I was this, I was com completely committed follower of Christ, leading the Bible study. I moved the Bible study into the nightclub on Thursday nights. So Saturday's hottest club in town, 800 people coming. Thursday nights, we're reading Purpose Driven Life, and, I, and we're going out and feeding the homeless after. And I told my doorman, I said, look, if anybody comes on Saturday nights, I said, if anybody comes from the Bible study, let them in for free, treat them like VIP, don't make them wait in line. And that's what we did. And all of a sudden, my Bible study blew up. I had drug dealers and strippers coming to the Bible study. It became like the cool thing to do is go to the small group. But it was so edgy, and I had no accountability, no, nobody mentoring me or anything. I ended up sleeping with a girl, and then the second girl. And then, and then it just started out here. I was back in the club scene. And then once I stepped down from leading the small group at that point, once, once I slept with that second girl, and I, it was like going back in the shadows where nobody – was really looking at me anymore. I wasn't leading a small group now. And I just, it was like the devil served it all up to me and I just took it. 
So that lasted again, slowly spiraled over five years. But by the by that fifth year, I was just very far from God. I'd gotten a DUI, just a bunch of stuff, girl problems and everything else. So when I rededicated, I got very involved in the church that I'd been sporadically going to. And, but I went through that exact same period that I'd gone through the first six years where I was like, every weekend I'm sitting around with my thumb up my ass, not sure what to do or who to deal with. There was just nothing going on. Church people were great, but they were boring. There's not a lot happening. And I just knew I couldn't go to the bar, but there really wasn't a whole lot else. So I was rent Redbox movies every night. And I, uh, I tell the story where I, I, rent, I rented every single movie in Redbox to the point where I rented Dolphin Tale one night because it was the only movie I hadn't seen on a Friday night. And I was so mad because I'm like, here, I'm a pretty cool guy. I was running the nightlife in my city and I'm, uh, this is what I'm reduced to. This is, these are my options. And I was like, man, this is a real problem. You know, how do churches or even recovery groups, how do you expect people to do this if you don't give them something to replace the bad behavior? Mm-hmm. So that's when I was like, I I got to figure this out. So I was complaining to somebody. They said, look, you were a promoter. Why don't you start organizing some social events to give yourself something to do? And it was like a light bulb went off. So that's exactly what I started to do is I just started organizing what we call fun without regrets, social events. And I I did it for myself because I did one. I was working hard all week. So I wanted something to look forward to on the weekends. But I also knew that. I could get my friends that did not know Jesus to a social event a hell of a lot faster than I could get them to a church because I'm an evangelist. So from the moment I met Jesus, those first six years, and even after I started the backside, I was still trying to reach the lost. And I would invite people to church with me and they would very rarely would anyone come. If they did come, it was almost just to be polite. Mm-hmm. And, but I never saw life change. So then I started doing these social events. I started inviting my friends from church that were basically going through the exact same thing I was. They were bored and lonely on the weekends, many of them. I started inviting them to these social events that were pretty fun because they weren't used to like real fun. And I had been a promoter, so I could organize some fun stuff. And then I started inviting my unchurched friends to those events, especially the ones that I kind of, there were people that were on my radar and I could see that they were hurting. Maybe they were going through a breakup. They might've been struggling with some addiction and I wanted to be there for them, but I didn't have the bandwidth to disciple them one-on-one, a lot of them. So what I would do is I'd just be like, hey, look, this is where my fr- we're going Friday night. Why don't you come out and see this band play with us? And then they would come out and they would get around this healthy group of people. And next thing you know, they would end up in church and they would get a lot of times they get saved. And then next thing you know, they're working the next steps table. And I'm like, bro, this is what I've been trying to do for the last 10 years. So I, it became this ministry for me. Not only was it you know, very life-giving to me because it was made my social life very intentional, but I was starting to make an impact. And and over time, I've seen hundreds of people get saved through uh, City Fam. And then we, so we developed it into a method for churches to follow. We call it the Go Method. And we're in the process of building that out. And I really believe it has the potential to lead millions of people to the Lord once we get it into the hands of all the churches. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I, I say this all the time with everything that I'm doing here through the podcast, through really providing tools and just having conversations to help men uplift themselves, find breakthroughs in life, obviously rebuild recovery. We're singularly focused on helping a guy with a specific problem. So we're doing a lot of good, but people ask me like all the time, like, what's the best thing you get to do? And honestly, it's like when the message or when the work or with the coaching program brings them either back to Jesus, because a lot of guys have obviously bachelor, which I'm curious about. You don't want to ask you a question here about that second time of recommitting. So we're either reintroducing them or for, for a second or third time, or, or we're bringing them, we're sharing the gospel the first time. Like as a Christian, as somebody that I believe our first calling is to create disciples, like that is the, that is the greatest thing that, that I get to do here 
with the work, but talk to, if you can, where you were at, maybe spiritually and emotionally, that second time. And the reason why I think that this is an important question here for me is as the men that I help, there's a lot of men that are, they're Christians, they're believers, they're doing good in the world, but they feel that their behavior in and around pornography has tarnished the relationship with God. Like they're never going to be fully accepted or fully forgiven. So how are you kind of processing things mentally, emotionally, um, mentally and spiritually at, at the time? And then just speak to those men out there that maybe feel like this things that I'm doing, like I'm never going to be good enough. God is like, God is, he's, he's given up on me. So if you can't speak to that a little bit, cause I know that could really help a lot. Yeah, of definitely bad behavior can cause corrosion in the connection with God. But I, I remember like I was very far from God. I remember seeing people in church worshiping because I, I would still occasionally go. I would, you know, like I was trying to figure out that maybe, but I don't even remember feeling that way. When I'd see somebody worship and I couldn't even remember feeling like in love with God. And I knew I had been years earlier, but I couldn't remember what it felt like. I was so numb from the sin. And when I rededicated, it was like, it was exactly like the prodigal man, where it was like their father ran to me and embraced me. And it was like, I was right back. And I remember talking to my pastor about it. He said, he makes all things new. I thought I blew it. Like I thought like at that point he was done with me mm. and it was like, Jesus makes all things new. And it was, I look back on it and it was actually part of my story. I believe like I, cause when I got back into the promotion, I was pretty self-righteous when I got back into the club scene. Cause I had been, I just stopped having sex for six years. So I was pretty proud of myself. I stopped having drugs. I just stopped on a dime from the moment I met Jesus. So if I saw people sinning, I knew all the verses of why they were going to go to hell. And I would tell them sometimes. So when I got back in the scene and I believe that God placed me there, he wanted to show me like, bro, you're not as strong as you think you are. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I, if it wasn't for the way that path that I went down and how I felt about myself, I could never do what I'm doing now because I needed to know what it, it felt like to be distant from God. Because now I'm around a lot of temptation still, and I never want to get back to that place. So it'd be like the equivalent of Adam and Eve getting back into the garden of Eden after they took the apple God kicked them out, but then he allowed them back. That's something they'd be like, I had another bite of that apple, but no way I'm not touching it. So that's what I feel like. So I would say to the men that are out there, God gives us unlimited chances, which is the beauty of the gospel. Like we can just screw up. So over and over, those are consequences to our sin. Yeah. I think it can block the blessing, but the moment that you decide that you want to come back, you're completely accepted. Like it never happened. God's given me this platform too, to talk about sex. I don't want to share numbers, but I've had sex with a lot of women. He uses like the thing that you would think maybe is the worst thing possible mm. to glorify himself. And I think people listen to me because of my experience. They're, it's almost like the people in jail after they've been locked up, they, they're scared straight. They're, no one's going to listen to a Silicon Valley guy that's never been to jail if he tells you why you shouldn't go to jail. But if you're a hardened criminal and somebody tells you like, this is why you don't want to do it. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I would just tell the men in God's economy, it's, it's just different. Jesus makes all things new. Yeah, yeah. I feel that, that part of the reason why we've been able to have the level of success that we had in such a short window of time is what I had to go through to, to step into this role. Like you get a guy that comes out and he's, yeah, I was a published fitness model. I was, I was dating some of the most beautiful women in the world. It's not like I, ha I didn't have trouble finding women or having sex. That's not why I sought out pornography. So when you hate saying this, you see a moderately attractive or somewhat good looking guy. I don't even know if, if people would agree with that, but I've been told that before. So just repeating what other people tell me, but you see a guy out here talking about like, you shouldn't have sex. I'm obviously stealing from your work here, but like porn doesn't make you a man. There's nothing manly or masculine 
about consuming pornography. I had to break my body down completely. I built up, you know, this incredible physique that most people would never be able to accomplish. But now I can stand in a position of authority where I've gone all of the, you know, I've gone down these avenues and I can sit here and, 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 and tell you that facing the darkest demon for me has what, has what radically has changed my life. So and let yeah. me just clarify, it's sex outside of marriage, guys. So once you, once you get married, have all the sex. That's the point. <laughs> Not yeah. having sex before marriage is going to really provide the clarity and the pathway for you to find your person, your best friend that you're physically attracted to long-term with, that's going to help you be that perfect match to help you achieve your purpose. But when you have sex before marriage, it just clouds everything. You get soul ties, bonded to the wrong person and very often drift into a, a marriage with someone that you're not going to be completely happy with. That's yeah, why let's go there though. Let's, 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 uh, let me have you expand on that a little bit. You, you shared a post here the last day or so having, God, I'm going to, I'm going to misquote it here. Having sex with somebody can make you feel like you're in love with them when it's really only lust. Pack that a little bit more if you can. What are some, I, I know we talked about it, you know, pretty extensively on, on the first episode here. So I don't want to go, but what are some of the dangers of, of having, whether it's, you know, emotionally, whether it's, it's, it's spiritually, like, why do we need to wait? It's all biology. So I didn't understand this, any of this stuff when I first started. I just did it because God told me he had somebody for me. And I was like, selfishly wanted to wait for him to give me my wife, someone that I'd never been in love. So that's why I waited. But over time, I start, really started to understand it. And it was from living at the at polar ends of the spectrum, from being very promiscuous to being abstinent, you start to see things from a, a unique perspective, I would say. All my past relationships, I started out with having sex early. And a lot of times, what would usually happen when I would have, when I would have sex fast is I would lose interest the moment I ejaculated. I just, a lot of one night stands. But sometimes there would be girls and we would, continue sleeping together and then we would drift into a relationship and a lot of times it, it was i still knew that i wanted to maybe sleep with other women or date other women but i felt obligated at some point maybe the three month mark six month you, you can only play that non-committal game for so long and then you start feeling like a douchebag you're like oh this girl's put up with a lot of my crap uh, she deserves to be my girlfriend and then you you make her your girlfriend or, your, or sometimes even your wife out of obligation. And that's not a good place to be. People sometimes doubt what I say, but all we have to do is look at the numbers. 97% of the population does not wait to have sex before marriage. The divorce rate's 50%. And then of the 50% that stay married, many of them aren't happy. Many of them stay together for the wrong reasons, finances, money. And then I think 50% of the 50% that stay married. So they stop having regular sex after year four. So your odds of being happily married, if you go about it the way the 97% does is very slim. So all you have to do is look at that. And you can study, I think the divorce rate for people that marry as virgins is only 6%. Yeah. So that at some point it's undeniable. The law of delayed gratification is a, it's a principle and it applies for everything, including sex, whether it's saving money or getting education or climbing the corporate ladder. You can't just give yourself instant gratification and then get that long-term happiness too. You got to deny yourself in certain areas. And as a bodybuilder, you understand that better than most. And it, it applies to sex too. And it, it, I wish it weren't true, honestly, because I, 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 casual sex was easy. It was fun, but it's not productive to what you are seeking long-term. Yeah. What does it, what does it do to, to the men spe specifically? I've heard you talk about the sexual energy, sex transmutation. Speak to that a little bit if I you can, that, because yeah. a lot of guys out here are like, I need to ejaculate. I need to release. So what am I going to do with this stuff down there? Talk about why that's false myth out there. Yeah. It's a great principle. If you can read about it and think you grow rich, Napoleon Hill's classic. And he talks about how you can harness it. You can harness sexual energy. It's the strongest form of all human energy, and it can be redirected towards all kinds of things. So I, I try not to ejaculate. I'll go a month 
or more. Sometimes I'll have a wet dream. Sometimes I will jerk off. I'm not perfect. I'm human. But I do know that there is a, a hangover associated with it. I can't tell you all the science behind it, but I know that I've been so much more productive in the last 10 years than I was in all 38 before that. And I could look at the things that I've did, starting my nonprofit, writing my books, coaching programs, podcasts, whatever it is. I, it's, at some point, I think the evidence is almost undeniable to say, yeah, this NoFap thing is, is legit. Sex transmutation is a real thing. They got much time as men we put into not just sex, but the pursuit of sex, lining sexual things up, not DMing girls or looking at pictures. When you're, you make up your mind that you're not going to do it and then you actually follow through on that, it frees up a lot of energy, a lot yeah. of time that you can go. And, and the way that I don't remember if it was from Thinking Grow Rich that I read this, but they basically, it's like damming a river. You, that water is going to build up, but eventually it's going to find an outlet. And when it does, it goes. So that's for me has been, it's led me, I believe, to really figuring out what I was put on this earth to do. Because I didn't know 10 years ago, I, I had some vague ideas of what I wanted to do, but it wasn't like it is now. Like I'm crystal clear on my purpose mm. on, for being on this earth. And when I do get the woman, she's going to be this amazing addition to this beautiful cake that I've already baked. And she's going to be the icing on it. She's going to be the helpmate to yes. walking that purpose. That's why I tell men. All the time. So I get, obviously, coach married men, coach men that are in relationships, coach single men. And, and the single men are the only one that I can have this real conversation with. And I'm like, let's pause even the pursuit or even the thought of dating for a moment. And we can go to Genesis and, and talk about this. God created Adam. He gave Adam a job, named the animals, and he gave Adam a purpose. Tend and protect or serve and protect the garden. It wasn't until Adam accomplished his job, all the animals were named, and he was walking in his purpose, protecting the garden that God said, that man that I created, he's not good by himself. Let me bring him a helpmate. So I tell men all the time, I'm like, if, if you want to find, or you want to find the right woman, or you want God to bring you the right woman, begin to walk very clearly in your purpose. Just, we can just look at the scripture to find that is, that is the way it's supposed to the way it's, it's supposed to be. Yeah, we both had John Gray and, and Asprey on, on, on the episode. So if you guys want the science behind some of the stuff, we both, Dave Asprey, and, and I believe it was John Gray, we get into like how frequent it, it should be. And John even goes as far as, yeah, it's going to make its way out of it, whether it's through nocturnal remission or, or emission. He's uh, even sometimes you start secreting it like through through your sweat. And I'm thinking like, is that oh, why wow. when I'm in a gym, I smell different than I did a couple of years ago? <laughs> um, but you smell like a... A hand job, bro. Um, <laughs> but those, but those pheromones, like those are picked up like unconsciously through, like through mm -hmm. the woman's nature. So when people talk about, I've gone no fap and now I feel like I'm like, like I turned on the attraction, like two women, there's some stuff operating underneath the scenes there subconsciously. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. Like you're sending off signals that you don't even know about. The woman doesn't even know she's picking them up and that's, what's creating that kind of that, that attraction side there. Yeah. And I think so often just to go really quickly just wrap this up is when you do go back to the natural order of things like adam and eve he got his job he got his purpose before his person nobody likes waiting i i don't like waiting most people don't but so people get their person before their purpose and they never find their purpose mm. and, then, and then they get into these relationships oftentimes with the wrong person because they didn't wait so they got that soul tie they get that bond they get into a relationship then they never figured out their purpose so they're in this unhappy marriage they're not doing a job that they like so they're using football or whatever distractions they can to escape the reality because they knew some something inside gnawing at them telling them you were here to do something else and they can't figure it out because they never harnessed that sexual energy long enough because they just went out and chose a person because they wanted to bust a nut yeah. so it's you got to get this in the right order and it's as hard as it is it is the right way
Yeah, dude, I was telling you some of the success we've had here this this year with with Rebuild, and I, I know for a fact it's a result of me ending my previous relationship. And the moment I knew that needed to happen is is when she looked me in the eye and said, "You don't have yourself together. How are you going to help anybody else?" And mm. it was like, "Whoa!" Like I've been called to do this. I truly believe like this is my purpose in the world. And you're gonna you're gonna live here, like you're gonna live here in the house that I'm paying for and say that to me. Like you, there's no like there's clearly this is not going to work. And then breaking that it's like now clearly fully walking in my purpose. And the result has been obviously the success that we're having with a company and a coaching program. So dude, that's uh, awesome. I remember when you took that leap, dude, that was, it was amazing. And you knew it. And that's the thing. I think we all know deep down what, what we're supposed to do. It's just having the courage to do it and to step out because yeah. it's, you know, it's going to be hard and you're like, damn, I really don't want to, I really don't want to do this, but I yeah. know it's what I have to do. Yeah. If we haven't made anybody uncomfortable yet with talking about sex, let's make them uncomfortable with not bashing the church. We're not talking negatively uh, uh, about the church. That's not how I want to frame this. Sure. We're identifying that there's maybe some things that need to be improved upon. And obviously that's what yeah. you're doing with City Pam and, and the Go Method. But for me, it was interesting because my introduction into Christianity wasn't, it wasn't through boring men. It wasn't through maybe the, the typical way. Like how I was introduced to Jesus was through really strong powerful successful men so like my first you know couple months as a christian it's oh like actually the, the people on this side are like the ones that are winning these are like the people that i wanted to be more like but you were saying like when you converted it was like i'm looking at all the christians it's like it's just boring they don't have any fun i think they were married to a lot of the people i met were married and here i'm an older single and i just really feel like the older singles in the church are hung out to drive most churches have things for kids and they have things for couples but when you're older and you're single there's really not a lot. They're kind of like, they tell you not to have sex and they're like, okay, good luck. See you next Sunday. This isn't how the early church operated. If you look at the book of Acts, these people were together every day. Mm. They were doing life together. They were always in each other's homes, breaking bread, fellowship, teaching, uh, prayer. They, they were just together all the time. And it said the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. So literally every day people got saved because people are attracted to that. So if you look at like the loneliness epidemic now and the opioid epidemic, if the church stepped up and did what it was supposed to do, that, those things would not exist. Like we have to not just, I feel like the church has done a good job of feeding people's physical hunger throughout the years, but where it hasn't done a good job is feeding people's hunger for community. And people mm -hmm. are so hungry for it right now. So instead of inviting them to your church, why don't you do something that maybe they want to come to? And then, cause they got, here's the thing. Somebody comes to Jesus, then what? They're going to stay in six and a half days a week and isolate themselves from the sin. That's what you're telling them. Cause that's basically why is a bar open seven days a week, but a church is open for a few hours, one day a week. Mm. You know what? You wonder why people are in the bars. Well, they do a better job of community than most churches. That's why, because people want to be around people. So the, we have to do better. And that's what I think the go method really pushes against because it's look, we're going to do life together. We're going to get into a small group. Yeah. We're going to do Bible studies and we're going to go to church and all that. But we're going to socialize together. We're going to serve together. We're going to go out and volunteer together. And we're going to invite unchurched people into those environments because I can get them into those environments instead of into a building that they probably don't really want to come to. So yeah. that's what works for us. And, and, it, and I really believe that's the way that Jesus did it. Because if you look, he, he wasn't inviting people to synagogue. He was like, just follow me. He was just hanging out with people. He let people belong before they believed. There were a lot of people that just hung out with him long, for a long time before they became believers. Thomas didn't believe in, he was after he, he resurrected. He still didn't believe. So it wasn't, we're trying to get people to believe before we'll do life with them. They have to become a Christian or we don't want to hang out with you. That's not the way Jesus told us to do this. He said, go make disciples. He did not say invite people to come to you. 
go? How are we going? And knocking on doors ain't going to do it because that ain't working anymore. Nobody wants to see you on the street corner with a bullhorn either. So you have to go in the right way. And the way to go, what I've found that works, is we go to the places we fish where the fish are. We go to live events, bars, sporting events, wherever I, where I want to go to. That's the beauty of it. Whatever I find fun, I do. I, I invite some church friends, but then I invite some non-church people. And when they come, the word says where two or three are gathered in my name. Jesus said this. There I am. I'm in the presence. So we're, when we get a couple Christians together and we invite a non-Christian, Jesus is there. It doesn't matter if it's a bar. He hung out in places like that anyway. And, and it doesn't matter. If you and I, Frank, if we were in a bar together, I guarantee you we're going to talk about God. When I see you, you're going to be like, dude, man, I was praying for this thing. And, and if me and you were rapping about something and there's some non-church person, un unbeliever there, and they're within earshot of that, they're listening. And we're not even trying to sell it to them. That actually makes it more effective because it's not we're like, hey, let me give you this track. No, we're, we're just talking as two dudes. They're hearing it and something's happening. And now they're like, man, I want that. And the next thing you know, we're like, hey, bro, we're going to go to such and such church tomorrow. Are you interested? A lot of times they're just like, yeah. Because they met you and you're cool, you're normal. And yeah. the next thing you know, they just start moving with us. And then they end up in church. And again, a lot of times there'll be a seeker-friendly message and then they get saved, man. Their whole life gets changed. So for us, it's just been super effective. And it, it's convincing now the churches to notice it and, and try to implement it because like they're so stuck on this old way of doing things, even though it doesn't work. The average church leads less than 10 people to Jesus in a year. So even though it doesn't work, they refuse to throw their nets on the other side of the boat sometimes and try something different. Let's just look at this a different way. A lot of churches believe we're living in the end times. Where's the urgency? Because if you think Jesus is coming back, you really believe that and you ain't out telling people, like, shame on you. Do you think that's fear of the pastors, fear of the leadership? Do you think it's egos getting in the way? Like, What is making... The leaders in these in, in these churches, whether it's the pastor, because it's my understanding, like like a church is it's ran, you know, by by the pastor, like it's his congregation. So what is it that's keeping them from being open to trying a new way? In Baltimore, where we've have two churches running the go method, and it's it's not perfected. They're we're in, still in this kind of beta testing mode. It's been challenging to get them to fully embrace it because I think it is they're still married to the old model. I, I liken it to the story I heard about. There, I think it was the French, it was the, I think the, the Americans, maybe the American soldiers or the British were fighting the French and the Indians. And they were, the British were fighting the way that they knew how to fight. They were like marching mm -hmm. and they were getting blasted because they were, the Indians were fighting Indian style. There was only like a third of the Indians that there were of this other army and they just destroyed them. And then they had to, they realized that they're in some kind of new environment and they got to fight different. And that's when they started getting behind rocks and trees and stuff, instead of just marching into the enemies. And that's what the church has to realize now that there, there, ha there's gotta be a different way and we have it and it's dumb noticing it. I'll be honest. I met with my pastor a couple of weeks ago and I was like, basically I just, and he's a friend of mine, but I was like, look, I said, if I just made a list of everybody that me or city fam brought to your church directly not indirect because that list would be a lot longer, but just the direct people. And we just looked at their monetary giving, their lifetime giving money-wise, not their human resources that they gave because that's another value, but just the direct people and the money. We didn't get 1% back. And not to say I did it for money, I didn't, but that shows you how little they prioritized us versus saying, hey, look, we are a, a hospital for the broken. That's what a church is. I agree. Yes, you are. 
you guys are ambulances. You're bringing us a lot of people. Let me give you some gas money so you can go get some more. Mm. They didn't do that. And it's like trying to, even there where it worked, where we probably saw over a hundred people come to Jesus. They still get so like in their holy huddle that they don't wake up and say, this is the great commission. This has got to be one of the top priorities. This is the last thing that Jesus said for us. To, this is the last thing he said before he left the earth. It's important. Like he could have said a lot of things, but he said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the father. That was the last thing. So we got to figure out how to do it. And if you're, it ain't working, if you're not bringing people to Jesus, if you're one of those average churches of less than 10, then I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, I want to know what you guys are doing and, and how it works. But a funny story here, I was actually given this name by pastor. And I, I think I shared this with you or maybe somebody else. I've talked about it multiple times on the show. I attend a mega church and we're talking six. They just opened up or they're planning to open their seventh location here in the Bay Area. So it's one of these high production million dollar facility. Like you're going to a rock concert for worship music every single Sunday. But like February of, of last year, there was, I was attending a business event here. In, it was Clearwater Florida. So about, you know, 30 minutes from, from camp. I knew a lot of the people flying in from from all over the world. This event was on Saturday. It was on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So everybody was still in town Sunday night. We went out to dinner Saturday. I and mean, a lot of them were, you know, Christian, you know, Christian entrepreneurs. And I said, hey guys, I'm going to church Sunday. Love as many of you to join me as you'd like. Brought 24 people to church. Dude, that's Sunday. amazing. It's pastors, that easy, I think. One of the pastors goes, yeah, Frank, you're one of those bringers. We really like you guys over here. That's amazing, dude. I love it. I think, and that's part of it for us. So the go method, what we've developed so far, and I'll just tell people, this is how it works. We have a four-part sermon series that goes over all the reasons, the Great Commission, and this is what Jesus told us to do, and he told us to go, and, and we can see it all throughout the, the, the Bible. So we have a four-part sermon series that we give to a church for them to launch it. At the, the fourth message, people are given a card where they can check off and say, yes, I'll take the 90-day challenge to do life together. That sermon series concludes right at the time that your small group semester launches whatever semester that you're in so it now everybody what doing life together means is that they'll get into a small group and in that small group they'll do a social event and they'll do a service event over the next 90 days and they'll invite their unchurched friends to those events mm. okay so now you're going to get an influx of people that probably weren't in groups because they feel inspired that not only do they see it's this isn't just for you this is for you to reach all those people you've been praying for the last X amount of years that ain't been coming to church with you. This is your chance to reach them. So this is why you got to be in a group. And I'll just add on to that because if you ain't in a group, you're probably not going to, you're not going to have anything to bring them into. So you're going to have to be responsible for discipling that person one-on-one. -on -one, and that's a heavy load. So what the beauty of being in the group is you got a, a, a tribe and you could just bring people in and the group collectively embraces them. And it's almost easy. So we get people into their small groups and then we do these things called a go rally once a month on a Sunday, we get, or it doesn't have to be on a Sunday. Actually, we found that it's better if it's not on a Sunday, but like maybe on a Thursday or Wednesday night, you try to get the whole church out, everybody out, everybody that, that took the challenge and you do this. It's almost like a party where the first part is you get somebody to get up and they share their testimony just quickly, three minutes, maybe how they ended up in church, man, Frank invited me to this barbecue or whatever. And then I met these guys and like, like your story. And then the, the, they might be crying when they're telling the story. And then my whole life got changed and my marriage got restored. And then people are like, they're inspired. And then we draw out the ladder. This is what we do it. And when I say the ladder, the ladder is part of the go method where it's look, Jesus is at the top. He's on the fourth rung. That's where we're trying to get people to probably not going to get them there without church or small group. That's the third rung we call community. 
The problem that most churches make is we try to get people to go from the very bottom of the ladder to the third rung, which is just too big of a step because they, they just have all the reasons why they don't want to go, preconceived notions about God and all the things. So they, they don't know the words of the song. I don't know how to dress. They don't know a lot. So we, what we're trying to do is get them to take this big first step that most of the time they're not taking. So we add in a second rung, which is a service event where we volunteer together. And the first rung, which is the easiest, is the social event because everybody wants to have fun. And then you get the people that are in church. A lot of times they're bored, they're isolating, trying to stay out of trouble, sometimes falling into sin because of it, like I did. Get them to come down to the social events and get the person, the unchurched mm, person. To so kind of like in. meet, like you're bringing two ends of the spectrum, like here in the middle, let's all yep. meet. Let's all meet in one place, realize, hey, we're all just humans. We're all just flawed by nature to begin with. We're, we have similar goals in life. Maybe we're a little off and, and, and different in some of the way we see things, but it's like you kind of, you make that point of entry like much, much softer for the people, the non-goers, and then you bring some fun and enjoyment <laughs> for the people that are just your one hour, you know, one hour a week Christians. It's like you show right. up Sunday morning, like, but then you're not doing anything else. Let's say you week. got a, yeah, let's say you got a family member, your brother's struggling with uh, fentanyl. Okay. He's getting high and you're trying to tell him whatever, trying to get him some help. But so you organize a whatever, you're going to go to top golf with your, a bunch of guys from, from church. And then you're like, bro, I'm going to pick you up Friday night. Let's go golfing. You don't talk about Jesus. You're not telling them I'm going to take you around my small group. No, I'm, we're going to go to Top Golf. Come around. He hangs around some good people. That one night he doesn't get hot, and then he because he had something else to do. Idle hands. Everybody knows idle hands are devil's workshop. We're not giving people things to do. I know this because I was that person where I was like, "What do I do now?" And I white knuckled the shit out of it for six years, and then I backslid inadvertently because I could not be like take it being alone anymore. Now sometimes people get into relationships. To, to go against that. But oftentimes they date out of loneliness and they get in a baby's mama or they get into some, and sometimes God doesn't, he's not going to give you that person right away. He's going to take you through a wilderness season. You ain't going through the wilderness by yourself. And if you don't have a tribe to do life with, socialize, serve with and on weekends, you might make it for a little while, but eventually you ain't making it by yourself. I love the African proverb. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. You gotta, if you're going to go make the, a far journey, which, you know, a, a lot of times being a, a committed follower of Christ is a far journey. It's a long journey. It's not sanctification. It's a long process and you need a tribe to do life with. So you got to have that. And, and the go method just makes it very intentional. So we do the, we draw out the ladder. That's the second part of the rally. The third part is we do recognition. And this is a big part of why, why people will just do it because they, they, we might all know we're supposed to reach people, but a lot of times we don't life gets in the way, but at the go rallies, we're like, Hey guys, if you brought a, a guest to Epic in the last 30 days, will you stand up? And then half the room stands. Everybody's clapping. If you brought two guests, stay standing. Three guests, stay standing. Of course, people clap. Four guests, John, come up to the front. You know, mm. how did you get four guests to church? Bro? So now we're changing the culture because we're like, this is what we're looking for. These are the people. These are the heroes. Hey, how'd you get four people? One guy was my coworker and I just sent him a Facebook event and people are listening. They're learning, but guess what? It's also doing in the back of their mind. They're going, I want to be clapped for next month. So they're now they're thinking about it. Yeah. Well, everybody would love recognition. Then we do a little bit of training at the very end, a little bit of teaching so we, at this church we just rolled it out to we did some, this first teaching was called circles and uh, i'm sorry it's called croissants and donuts where we had a few people go out into the mezzanine and then they, we had two groups of people one stood in a tight circle and the other one stood like a croissant then one mm. stood like a donut and then we told the people look when you come back just go into whatever group you feel like looks more inviting so that every single one of them wanted the croissant 
So it's basically was to say, hey, listen, when you get out to these social settings, I know you like seeing your friends from church and catching up. And that's great. Do that. But also keep your antenna up and be on the lookout for the new people and give them a, a space that they can enter in. So it was just like this little bit of teaching. And then what we do is we introduce a little bit of competition where we tell the pastors or we tell the small group leaders, look, whatever small group brings the most amount of guests over the next semester is going to go to Sweet Frog with the pastor and his wife. Just a little carrot, just to make it a little healthy, fun competition. And then you might get some little smack talking going between some of the small groups. You set them loose. Guys, do your social event, your service event. And this is what we're doing. And it's been, it's worked really organically at Epic. Now we're putting this, that's the church, my home church, but now we're putting the system behind it. And I'm really excited because I do believe that every church in the world could follow this. And it, it, it is that ambulance to the hospital. It's a way to go out and get, reach the people, meet them where they're at, and then build a relationship. It's almost like we model a life that they can say, I could do that. I, I actually, that's, that looks like fun. Cause I, I'll go to bars with my city fam friends and there'd be 50 of our, or a hundred of us there. And I'm enjoying myself. I like being in a bar as a single guy. I don't like going to a bar by myself. I hate it because I'm the one guy trying to go this way. Everybody's going this way. But when I'm moving, when I'm going this way with 50 or hundred people, we're changing the temp. We're a thermostat now. And then people are seeing us and they're like, a lot of times if they're wanting some kind of change in their life, it's very easy for them to just jump on. And we're not even saying, hey, come to, a lot of times we might not even invite them to church very soon in the relationship, but we might be like, hey, we're going to go to Special Olympics next week and volunteer. And then they'll be like, man, I've always wanted to do something like that. And then that's really where the spirit gets them. The Holy Spirit gets them. If they come to a service event, almost yeah. every time they're going to end up in church because they start feeling different. Yeah, what you guys are doing, this is in, in the business of marketing coaching that I do, and this is a concept I teach my, my students. It's if you're trying to, you know, market a product or market a business, you have to sell the person what they want and give them what, what they need. And it's not like a bait and switch tactic. It's not like I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you this one thing over here. And then the minute you blink, I'm going to bring something this, and I'm going to, I'm going to package it in a way to where you believe what you want. So I help fitness people. Nobody wants to join a fitness program for an exercise or for a rep scheme. They right. want to join a fitness program because there's an outcome that is being delivered to them on the other side, whether it's lose X amount of pounds or put on 10 pounds of muscle or achieve a, you know, shredded six pack ab. That's what they want. What they need in order to do that is they need a consistent and structured workout plan based upon progressive overload. They need a meal plan based upon whatever macronutrients that, that, that their body needs, whether it's a ketogenic approach, that's what they need, but they don't want to be sold a meal plan. They don't want to be sold right. a workout program. They want to be sold the outcome. They want to be sold. I'm going to give you six pack abs. It's like, here, it's like people need Jesus. Every single person in the world needs Jesus probably more than ever right now, but they don't want to hear that for whatever reason, either they, they had a bad experience with a pastor when they were young, their parents were these kind of Bible thumping disciplinary Christians are like, I don't want anything to do with that. So they want a place to enjoy themselves. They maybe want deeper connections, more meaningful relationships. They want community. They want a place to go and have fun and do it in a fun, fun way. So it's, you're selling people what they want and then you're giving them what, what they need. Love it. Yeah, it's exactly it, man. Meeting that felt need. And I think, again, the church has done this with food. Like we do these food pantries and we do soup kitchens and we go on mission trips and we've met felt needs and hunger, but now the hunger is for community. That's why people are so lonely right now. That's why they're opioid the epidemic is raging out of control more people died i think in one year than the entire vietnam war i heard a stat not long ago so it's, they're not doing it because there's all of a sudden more people are just have addictive behavior than they've ever had they're lonely 
Mm. They're bored and they're lonely. And we have to give them things to do. And the thing is fun without regret, which is basically, you know, what we say at City Fam and what the Go Method encourages, it takes planning. Fun with, with, fun with regret takes no planning. Okay, I work hard all week. I didn't plan anything. I want to blow up some steam. There's the bar. Or wait a sec, let me get on Tinder and see if I can. That, fun with regret is in your face all the time. Fun without regret. Somebody had to think of it in advance, plan it out, organize it, and then probably tell you about it. That's where the church has to be. We have to be planning fun without regrets events, for, and they become fishing holes to invite our unchurched friends to come into where they might meet Jesus, and their whole life gets changed. Mm, powerful. They said one of the first steps for them to do once they bring their guests now go into a group. Are you guys providing the, the small group curriculum? And what's a, if so, what's what's the yeah. curriculum built in and in, in centered around? Not yet. No, we want to. Okay. So I'm working on a book called Go, and it will have a small group curriculum with it. Right now, we don't have it just because of my hands are tied up with City Fam. Yep. But I would like to have a small group curriculum des designed around the whole program, and ev eventually we will. With City Fam, I have a curriculum, a small group curriculum that goes with the Waiting Works community. It's mm -hmm. called The Truth About Sex, and that works really well for us because we get a bunch of singles together, and they're going out and they're socializing, especially if there's bars and all involved, there's, there's a very good chance they're going to start having sex with each other. At least tell them why they shouldn't, which is the book does a good job of, the curriculum does a good job of explaining to them practically about why you probably shouldn't do this. Now I'm sure mistakes happen and we're not the sin police by any stretch, but we try to build it on a foundation of purity to say, hey, look, let's just respect each other. If I'm not going to marry you, I probably, there's a reason why, you know, if, if I'm not sure about that. So we just, it just causes more problems and we try to highlight that for the the people that are starting small groups in city fam but with the go method eventually we will have it it will have its own small group curriculum which yeah. is not there yet now you've got this go method rolled out in in two beta churches yeah. right now yep and is it is it predominantly single people is it married is it a mix of all of the above so I, when we did we launched the, the initial challenge it was at the beginning of the year all people across the board took the challenge the people that we really found that are the most active are the single people because they're doing it a lot of times for themselves. Like I did when I started doing these social events, some of it was very selfishly because mm. I was bored. So I was, I knew I had a chance to invite my church friends and potentially lead them to the Lord. And that was definitely a motivation for me to do it. But a lot of it also was just for me because I just wanted something to do. Now, couples in all likelihood, they're not going to be the ones to go out and organize all the events because they, they don't need it as much. They have someone to spend time with. They have a, a husband or a wife to chill with, go to dinner with. So they don't need community quite the way that singles do. So it's, we find that singles are, are definitely the ones that are more active. Yeah, brother, that's fantastic. With, I know you said that you feel this and obviously it, it, it can be utilized and taken, taken advantage by every church, but the size of churches that you've rolled it out and your vision, what type of churches or size do you see, do you see this really taking off in? I mean, I want to work with any pastor that's hungry to reach the loss because mm. there are a lot of pastors and when they get bigger in the bigger churches, they get complacent and they forget that there's a whole world of people out there that don't know Jesus. But God's given me such a passion for the churches. A lot of times I'll drive by these little churches and my heart just, I, I almost feel sorry for them because they don't know how to reach the loss. They're trying to rely on this old whatever but they got to engage their people mm -hmm. it wasn't supposed to be i don't care what your mural says anymore it's, they're not coming you could put the most clever thing on your mural that's funny and clever and the people aren't coming anymore we have to get the people in the, the body the, of christ to go out and do exactly what we were supposed to be doing all along 
And I don't know the people in your network and your pastor doesn't either. So I'm not going to be able to reach them, but you can. And that's what we have to set people up. We can't, and I even, you know, I was at a church recently and the, and the guy was telling his congregation to go. He was talking about this, but they wasn't telling them how. Mm. And if you don't tell them how you're not setting them up for success. I remember when I became a Christian, I was out there, I was trying to reach people. I remember drawing the bridge illustration on a napkin in a bar one day. It was so awkward and nothing, you know, I was not seeing anybody come to Jesus and no one's life changing. So we can't just tell people go out and like, it, it's gotta be a framework. It's gotta be an operating system that we use. And that's what the go method is. This in the same way that your computer uses windows, you use the go method to fulfill the great commission. We have it for you. So we're in the process of making it tight because right now we're not, it's not buttoned up completely, but by the new year it will be. But if any churches are out there and they're willing to be a beta a ch church and let us test this out, I would love to work with you. Any pastors? Yes, we do have pastors that, 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 that listen to the show. I know that for a fact because I have conversations with them weekly. So if there's a pastor or even if there's a member, whether he's in the leadership at his church or maybe he's got a relationship or maybe he wants to find more information out to bring it to his church, where can people get connected with you or learn more information Yeah, uh, that's great about this? So I'd love to have people, they could just email me or actually better yet, DM me on Instagram. It's at Rob B. Kowalski. Just drop me a, a Instagram message and I'll see it right away and get back to you and give you some next steps. I can send you a video to show your pastor or if you're a pastor, we can just talk about next steps. But uh, if anybody's out there uh, that you've heard me mention City Fam a few times, City Fam is the the nonprofit that I started. It's almost a parachurch ministry, but it's just really it's we're not faith based technically, on purpose, and uh, we're just a group of people that are committed to doing life together and becoming the best version of ourselves and trying to enjoy the process. So that they can go to the Facebook group on City Fam. It's 100% free to join, or you can just go to friendswithbetterbenefits.com. We bought that URL and it just takes you directly mm. to the Facebook group. We also have the Waiting Works community on Facebook, which is people that are waiting uh, to have sex until marriage or at least trying to wait. We have about 2,900 people on there right now. And that's free to join. So they can go to any of those places. But specifically for the Go Method, yeah, drop me a DM on Instagram and I'll give you some next steps. But that is yeah. my passion. Yeah, that's amazing. And guys, we'll link all that information. We'll link Rob's first episode down in the show notes as well. I believe it was episode 36. Like I said, it was back in of last year. I want to talk to the men here, though, just specifically the men that are listening to this. Whether they're interested in the, in, in the GO method or, or not, there's a need for strong Christian leaders, men specifically, in the home and, and just in, in the communities. And I know I was sharing this, that you probably know it better than I do, but I think it's something when the husband or the male of the family get saved it's like 91 percent, you know probability that the family is going to follow when you flip that around and it's a female first it's like a 14 percent. Yeah. so you know i'll give you the floor here just kick him in the ass if you need to or or talk softly and gentle if you want to but yeah, just man. give a word of encouragement inspiration to the men out there of why we need to to start taking action on, on yeah on it's it's what you said man it's so important women want to follow but they need men worth following and the culture that we've been living in maybe contributed to i know i did it's like a welfare society where we're just mm -hmm. taking the, the welfare checks we're taking the food stamps and nobody's working and we're not becoming this better version of ourselves we're not self-actualizing because we're just picking up the rotten fruit off the ground and it's time for us to say no we're not going to do it anymore we're not going to take the welfare no and, that, and the welfare what is it it's the easy thing it's that girl that you could sleep with easy she's not going to require anything from you it's porn we have to rise up and be the men that we're called to be. And we're in perilous times. Jesus is coming back soon. We have to do it now. 
and men will be the ones to lead the charge. Right now, we have a lot of women in City Fam because they respond to the waiting message more than men. But man, if men stepped up and did it, I prayed that for strong men all the time. Because that's when I connected with you, I was like, dude, I, this guy, I was like, I saw you, man. I'm like, we got to get him in City Fam. I, I, you're a leader. And, and a lot of men out there are leaders. We just have to step into that and act like it yeah yeah brother and i'm i i i wish i had more time energy to commit to it because I'm, I'm such a you're fan of what it, you're doing bro. obviously i'm connecting with the right people i want to i want to see you grow and some of you guys out there like i'm calling you out specifically like i've, I've had individual conversations with people that i know are going to hear this right now reach out to rob like you need city fam in your life you need to be a chapter leader or whatever it's called there because it's incredible what you're doing i mean it's so it it, it runs so parallel in line with with what we're trying to create here as well. And I just think it's, I just, I, I think it's only getting started for you, man. I'm, I'm appreciate really that, excited to, to watch you continue to grow and just impact and, and change the world. So we're going to here with, we, we have a last question. I obviously asked you last time as well. I don't remember your exact answer, but I'm curious how it's changed. I'll have to you know go back in and rewatch that episode. But so we've, we've shared all your information. Everybody knows where to connect to you. So make sure you get connected with Rob, listen to his podcast, listen to the first episode that, that we had him on. If you guys haven't checked that out uh, yet, but, Obviously, Rob, the title of the show is The Superman Life. It's been a result of my life's journey and transformation. But when I talk about living a Superman life, for me, it's more of a belief system. It's how I try to show up every and live out this purpose. And it's the belief first that we all were placed on this earth for a very specific purpose. So there's a calling on each one of our lives. We then, though, have to take some of that responsibility. We've been given this vessel, so we need to build our body up through fitness. We need to be dedicating ourselves to, to our work and to our mission and, and, and to our purpose. And it's the combination of those two things, the understanding and belief that God created you for the purpose, but he's given you all the tools and everything within you to bring that to the world. And it's when those two things are combined and fully manifesting themselves to their fullest nature. That is what I believe is a superhuman life. So I get to get the guest take here. So as we bring it home here, Rob, how would you define living a superhuman life? Yeah, wow. And I forgot you asked me that question last time. I, I guess I would say I heard a really interesting quote from a guest that I had on my show recently. And he said, it's uh, put it, throwing yourself in the struggle to make sure that tomorrow is, is better than yesterday. And I was like, man, that's good. That's really what it's about every day. It's just trying to be continuously improving and then live a life of no regrets. Like I, I want to get to the point where I'm at the end and I'm like, I left it all on the table. Like that to me would be a superhuman life. Paul said, I fought the good fight. So I'm just trying to make sure that I'm thinking with the end in mind. Because mm. for so long I did. I thought with the moment in mind. And now I would say the superhuman life is that. It's just like being very intentional with everything that I, I say, everything as much as possible of what I do. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that thinking with the end in mind. I, I don't know if you're an Ed Milet fan, but I talk about him a lot on, on the show. He's a huge inspiration for me in my life. He talks about his definition of heaven is like you, you die and you meet, you meet God and he introduces you to the version that he created of oh you. Gosh, and yeah. his goal is to meet that person and be an identical twin because oh, hell would be to meet that person and not recognize a single thing about them. Like he wants to be able to meet that version or meet the ultimate version that God created and be like, dude, I've been waiting to meet you my whole life. I've been chasing you down. And he wants to flip it and have that version of himself be like, I've been watching you, man. It's so nice to meet you. Welcome. And, and I love and, it. Dude, it just gives me goosebumps. Literally. I know, just, dude. Look at I'm the same. I heard just to add on to that. I heard, I don't remember what preacher it was. I might have been Andy Stanley, but he talked about in the Bible and talks about hell. It says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he talks about the gnashing. He goes, when do you gnash your teeth? He's like, when you're, when you some intensely regret something, you're like, mm -hmm. ah. 
And that, what you just said, imagine you meet the person and it's, you know, you see what you could have been and you have this intense regret. That's hell. Yeah. You gnash your teeth. You're like, oh, because you just regret so bad. And that's really it. It's the pain of discipline versus the pain of regret. There's the two types of pain. We have to embrace the pain of discipline every day mm. to avoid the pain of regret. And it ain't easy, but together, we're in it together. Amen, brother. But you, you, you gave me one more question that I want to circle back with, and, and I feel it's an important thing. And, and it may challenge you a little bit, but being a Christian isn't easy. So yeah. with this Go Method and, 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 and using the fun to, to bring people in, are you concerned with once they get in and they realize that it's difficult and challenging, that it's going to, I don't want to say drive them away, but how are you managing that, I guess, at, at the beginning with the understanding that like, hey, we're going to have some fun, but like, this life is going to be hard. It, yeah. it is going to be challenged. Have you thought and you guys have you planned that yeah. into the method? It, it's tricky for sure. So for me, that definitely helps me, gives me a lot of motivation to, to walk the way that I do, because I know mm. that people are probably going to do about half of what I do right, twice yeah. what I do wrong. So even though I'm never pushing people from city fam into waiting, because I don't want to make anyone feel wrong, the waiting trickles down into the culture and becomes so people just straighten their back and they act different when they come around city fam. But a lot of times people will come out and they, they might be not there yet and they might be behaving in a certain way. But as long as we outnumber the people that are not there yet, and we t tend to do that, so there'll be a lot more Christians than non, then usually those people will rise versus pulling people down. But even sometimes when Jesus said, he's I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That doesn't sound safe to me. Mm. When you're a sheep around wolves, you might get ate. So we, as Christians, I think so many Christians want to play it safe. And that's not what Jesus called us to do. Look, Jesus died for our sin. He's a lot more worried about somebody dying and going to hell than he is about you sinning and having to ask for forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like I'm not condoning sin because there might be some consequences with that, but I, I have to go and, and reach people and, Sometimes I don't want to. It's much easier to sit in church in my little holy huddle, as I mentioned, and speak my Christianese with all everybody that believes what I do. And that, I think that's why Christians do that is because it's the path of least resistance. It's like we get into our safety, safe bubble and we're like, whoa, don't go to the barbershop. You might get a haircut. You might reach a barber. I don't know. So we have to do it the way that Jesus said to do it. And he always put himself in environments where no one else was going. And the religious people didn't understand it then, and they don't understand it now. If you remember, they were like, what's he doing hanging around those people? Yeah. If he's the son of God, why is he? Those are no, you know, notorious sinners. He said it's not the healthy. I mean, the doctor's sick. So are you putting yourself around sick people intentionally for the purpose of hopefully introducing them to the Lord? Because if you're not, then I would say you're not really doing it the way that Jesus said to. Absolutely, brother. Amen. Dude, this was so much fun. I, I could talk to you like forever. We're definitely gonna have to do this more, more frequently. If it's just connecting offline or doing yeah. more conversations like this. And obviously I want to bring you into the men at, at, at rebuild and have you, you know, speak into them as well. We're definitely going to stay in touch. We won't go another year plus without linking no, up. I'm going to uh, you know, get you on my show. hundred percent. Yeah. So I appreciate you so much guys out there. Obviously today was incredibly valuable. I hope you got something out of it. I hope it you know, spoke to you. I hope it was that sense of source of inspiration to maybe start going a little bit deeper in, in, in your faith, start going a little bit deeper in, in some of the ways that, that you're living. And obviously there's tools and resources here. So if you're interested in what Rob is doing over that city fan, make sure to check them out. If you want more information on the Go Method, go check him out at Instagram. We'll link all that information out there. And if you guys are continuing to find value in these conversations, you want to help us continue to grow this mission and grow this message, you can help us in one of two ways. First off, if you haven't done so yet, what's wrong with you? Leave us a five-star rating and written review. 
only if you're getting value. If the show sucks, tell me that as well. So I know how to improve it. I'm not scared of a one-star review because I need to know how I can improve. But more importantly, if there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this message, do us a favor with sharing today's conversation with them. But for Rob Kowalski over at City Fam and the Go Method, Frank Rich, we love you guys. And we'll see you next week.